appreciate it, Megan. Um, it's a joy to, to be here tonight. It's always a joy to get to share with you guys. Um, so I'm just going to start, and let's just pray. Lord, I just uh, I thank you for this space. Lord, I thank you for just what you've released, that you're here, that you're with us, that you're present, and that you're always doing something. God, that you're always moving, and you're always releasing wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you. And so, Lord, I just... I ask that you would lead us into the deeper waters tonight, God, that you would inspire us with the inspiration of heaven, God, that you would strengthen us with the, with the strength of Jesus, Lord, and that you would just expand our hearts to know you more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, so if you hear a little bit of phlegm already, I'm sorry. Um, tonight, I want to talk uh, about endurance. Um, wow. How do you start? This, is, this journey called life is long, it's challenging, it has seasons, right? Uh, there's lots of ups and there's lots of downs and I don't know about you, I'm not terribly old, I'm be 31 this year and I feel like I've already lived multiple lives. Um, I can look back on decades and three or four year spans and it feels like many lives ago. Um, and you know, I can only imagine if you're 60, 70, uh, what, it, what it feels like to look back upon your life and just the seasons that you've been on. And, and I know that for the short years that I've lived, uh, it's taken endurance to get me to this stage right here. Um, and I think there's a bit of a misconception. Um, wow, I feel like I'm already getting emotional. There's a bit of a misconception that I think oftentimes is the thinking is that we only need endurance for the wilderness. That the wilderness is the season where we're fighting our battles and we're going to get our victories and then we're all going to cross the River Jordan one day into the promised land uh, and we're no longer going to need this thing called endurance. Life's going to become easy. The blessings are going to be flowing. There's going to be the land flowing with milk and honey and we're going to all be able to sit back on our lazy boys and pull the handle and kind of put our feet up, Right? And like watch college football and eat some popcorn or something, right? Like, like I, I think there's this misconception that like endurance is something for the wilderness. And it is 100% my most painful seasons in my life. They required endurance. Um, I wouldn't be here today if I would have just given up, obviously. But at the same time, endurance, I think, is just as much needed in the season of blessing. Um, if you look at Israel, it's very clear. They fought significantly more battles in the promised land than they did in the wilderness. Their resistance that they found when they crossed Jordan was significantly more than in the wilderness. I would actually make an argument that the wilderness is actually more of a season of glory. Israel, they've got a cloud by day and a fire by night, right? They've got Moses ascending a mountain, the presence of God coming down. They're sitting there looking at the mountain consumed by the presence of God, right? They see the, the Red Sea part and they walk across on dry land. Like the, sea, the wilderness isn't a dry season. I think it's a very glorious season. Is it challenging? Yes. Does it require endurance? Yes. But so does when you cross the River Jordan and as we see when the spies go out, uh, you know, Caleb and Joshua, they were the only two who, who had eyes to see, but all the other spies come back to Israel and they say, hey, no, no, no. Yes, there's a lot of milk and honey. There's a lot of good blessing in this land, but, but those who occupy it, they're really large and they have fortified cities. And for us to take that land and actually 
make that our home. That means we're going to have to conquer them. And it was an overwhelming thought for 99% of the Israelites that went and took a peek at the land of promise, right? And I think uh, it gets easy to forget this. And, and Paul makes, uh, if you open to, if you will have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Philippians 4. And Paul kind of uh, affirms this uh, thinking. If you go to Philippians 4, starting with, uh, we can start with 10. He says this to the church. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, here it is, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then you have the scripture that we all know well, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what Paul's stating there is that like, I needed the Lord to strengthen me just as much in a season of abundance as I did in a season of lack. I had, when I faced abundance, it was just as much of a trial as it was when I was facing lack. And I think it's so easy to lose that mindset um, and not endure throughout all the seasons. Uh, Jesus says in Luke that it's by endurance that we'll save our lives, that we'll gain our lives. And so I think this this. Endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. It's something that like, we have to develop within us. Um, and it's gotta be something that we have the eyes to see. It's actually, it's for the long journey. It's not for the sprint. It's not for the season of hardship. It's not for the season of blessing. It's like this life of endurance is one that's like all our days, right? We're doing to endure all of our days. And I think it's possible. I don't stand up here and preach you something that I don't think is possible. I don't think it's like we don't have to have, oh, we are enduring, enduring, and then, and then I'll get back up on our feet and like, let's keep enduring, and then, like, there's hard days, right? But I think we can actually step into this place where like we endure all the days of our lives, right? That we're steadfast all the days of our lives, that we persevere all the days of our lives. Um, and, and it's basically what Paul's saying that, that he tapped into. He figured that out, that it was, through Christ, he could do all things, right? And so tonight, I wanna talk about endurance in the context of suffering and in the context of living in the blessing. Um, I probably will emphasize a little bit more. I feel like the Lord's emphasizing more of how to endure in the season of blessing, but we're gonna start with suffering, if that's okay. Okay. Here's my definition of what enduring throughout seasons of suffering and need, wilderness, whatever word you want to put to it. I think enduring means that you don't allow your need to overtake you. Um, Very easy in seasons of suffering, the need becomes so large and so overwhelming that it's hard to see past it. The example I just gave, right? It was the Israelite spies who went and they could not see past right, the people who were already dwelling in the promised land. And I think uh, my eyes were open to this. My family went through a really painful season when I was in high school. Um, And the first thing that I think really helps us endure and to not lose sight 
of God and allow our need to overtake us is that we realize that we're not alone. I read 1 Peter when I was like 15 years old and he says, hey, my beloved brothers, like don't be alarmed or estranged at the painful trials you're going through as though something strange is happening. But rejoice that you're partaking in the sufferings of Jesus so that one day you can also partake in his glory, right? And I think the enemy so often when we're in times of suffering wants to use it as a tool to create isolation in our lives. And I think the voice that I know I've heard and I know of people who I've had conversations with here is, hey, you know, this pain that I'm experiencing, like they don't actually understand it, so I'm gonna separate myself from them and kind of isolate No, they don't understand. They never walked a day in my shoes. And so we allow this to give this mentality that like we're alone. It was what Elijah, when he calls down, uh, when he's like kind of going at it with the prophets of Baal, right? He, in the chapter of that, he, he cries out to the Lord. He goes, Lord, like I'm the only one who's consecrated myself. I'm the only one who set myself apart. I'm the only one who suffered this pain of how Israel's departing from you, but I'm remaining And in the next chapter, he says it again. He's like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one, Lord. And then God's like, Elijah, yes, like you're one, but there's also 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, right? It's like Elijah, I think, started to buy into these lies that the enemy wants to feed us when we're suffering that we're actually the only ones experiencing it. But I just wanna like, like raise your hand if you've suffered in this life. Yeah, yeah, look around. Hold on, keep them up. Like, look around, like, like, Everybody here, is that fair to say? We've all suffered, right? So if you, endurance in the season of suffering, first of all, it requires that you break the mentality that you're alone in it and that you're the only one walking in suffering. You cannot let your suffering isolate you. You will not endure if you do so. The second thing that I think we have to do in the season of suffering is we have to remember we have to remember who he is. Israel did a really poor job of this, right? Time and time again, we see that they, they forget the Lord. They, he parts the Red Sea. They walk upon, across on dry ground, and immediately when they're faced with some opposition, they say, oh, man, Moses, did you lead us out here just so that they could, you know, the, the Amalekites or other ites or whatever ites can now kill us? Like, just why didn't you just leave us in, e- in Egypt? At least we had something to eat, Right? And they quickly forgot. I mean, when Moses goes up and up to Mount Sinai, right? And he's up there a little bit longer than what they expected. And they start, you know, in Exodus 32, it's like, oh, we don't know where he's at. Where's Moses at? Oh, hey, Aaron, like, come here and make us a god. Oh, he's like, oh, give me all your jewelry. Give me your earrings and everything, right? They, the glory of God is on the mountain right there, completely surrounding Moses, but yet, a little bit of discomfort and they quickly forget and they build the golden calf, right? The same thing with Joshua. You know, Joshua, when he leads them across the, the River Jordan into the promised land, you know, he makes this proclamation, you know, once they get into the land of promise and says, hey, choose this day whom you're gonna serve. For me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord, but today, Israel, you have to make a choice. And Israel's like, no, we remember what God's done and we sanctify ourselves. We set ourselves apart, we're gonna serve the Lord. If you read Judges 3, which is like three chapters after Joshua dies, it says that they begin to worship the gods of Baal and the poles of Asherah, and they forgot God. Right? It's so easy within our suffering to lose sight of his goodness. And I preached about his goodness last time, if you were here. Um, 
but we have to choose remembrance. In Psalm 77, we're going to go to a couple of verses. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go there, I'll give you a second. This right here is like a, if you need a formula, I always want formulas. It's so easy to be like, hey, God, just give me like, I know one plus two equals three, right? So like, how do you pray for a sick person? You put your hand, you kind of dance a little bit, you say Shabba Shabba, and it's good, right? Like if we could just have these formulas, I would love it. Like I, the tension's hard for me. I'm extremist, so it's like I want to be on one side or the other. Unfortunately, I don't think there's like a lot of formulas if you read this Bible. It's very much like step out in faith and faith look different, whether it looks different, whether it's you or me or whether you're in my season or your season, right? One thing that's sin for one person is a step of faith for another. And so formulas are just not here. However, I would say Psalm 77 is a formula if you are struggling to remember the goodness of God and remember what he's done. So I'm gonna read the whole chapter. Here we go. The title of this Psalm 77 is, In the Day of Trouble I Seek the Lord. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. So basically at this point, he's like, I'm in a season of suffering, right? And I said in verse six, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And he asked himself this. He like spurns himself with faith. And he asked, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And then here he goes, he does it. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is like a beautiful formula. It's like I'm in this suffering, right? It's like I am struggling. But then he spurns himself and he asks himself these questions. Like has the Lord's favor ended forever? They're almost these questions that he knew weren't true. And what it provokes in him is that I'm gonna, I'm gonna appeal to the, to the right hand of God and I'm gonna remember, right? The power of remembrance, the power of, of, of remembering what he's not only done in your life, but in the people's lives around you. Remembering what he's done in this book, remembering that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? 
Like the power of remembrance is powerful. And I think to endure well through suffering, you cannot lose your remembrance. Israel did it time and time again. And I think it's gotta be like this red flag for us that like, hey, don't forget. Don't be short-sighted. Ponder these things. Meditate my ways, right? Paul did this. If you flip to 2 Timothy I'm reading some good chunks of scripture tonight. Second Timothy chapter two. I'm gonna read a chunk here. So probably, yeah, verse one, two, 13. Here we go. So Paul's writing this to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, then we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Paul writes this. The context means everything. Paul's in prison in Rome, and he's basically writing this as his, uh, his farewell to Timothy. He knew that his death was around the corner, and so he writes this in a very different tone than he did First Timothy. And I think Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, but just as much, I feel like Paul's writing this letter to himself, right? He's in jail. He knows he's about to be beheaded and murdered, right? He's been on a very painful journey of ministry, and he's writing, you know, it's the athlete's not crowned unless he completes according to the rules, right? It's the hardworking former that ought to have the first share of the crops, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. I feel like Paul's, yeah, he's writing it to Timothy, but he's like so much writing it to himself, being like, Paul, you're in the midst of suffering here, right? But remember, remember why you're here. Remember that the suffering's worth it, that the gospel you preached of Jesus is a worthy gospel, Right, that remember you wrote prior that you consider all things lost for the sake of knowing him. And if knowing him means being murdered and beheaded, then so be it. Right, like Paul in this moment where he very much was on his way to death, remembered in his letter to Timothy. And I think it gave him the ability to endure. And so in suffering, I think there's two things. You're not alone in it. You're not alone in it. We're all, it's not something rare. We all experience it. And in the midst of it, we gotta remember, amen? We gotta remember, okay. We're gonna shift now to what endurance looks like in a season of blessing. In a season of blessing, I think endurance 
Whereas in a season of suffering, endurance is not letting your need blind you and overtake your ability to see. I think in a season of blessing, endurance looks like staying connected to your need. It's really easy to lose connection to your need when there's blessing all around you. We see this really clearly in the life of David. In 2 Samuel, I'm just gonna kind of go, I'm just gonna tell you a little summary of each chapter. In chapter five, he's anointed king. In chapter six, he's anointed king like the second time, not as a young boy, but now that uh, Saul's died, he's now being ascended to the throne of Israel. So he's anointed king in chapter five. In chapter six, he takes the Ark of the Covenant to, to Jerusalem. In chapter seven, God promises to establish his throne forever and put an heir on the seat for eternity. In chapter eight, it says that the Lord gave victory wherever David went. In chapter 10, he defeats the Syrians and the Ammonites. And then in chapter 11 is when the endeavor with Bathsheba happens. I find that super interesting. David lived in the wilderness for many years, right? Running from Saul. And then finally his day comes and he ascends to the throne. The Lord starts consolidating his power, right? He has victories all around. The Lord honors him. You know, he sees him. I know you want to build a house for me. Like I'm actually going to build your name and put your heir on the throne forever. He has victory all around. And the next thing you know, he stumbles, Right, he falls. And if you go to Psalm 63, what's more confronting about this story to me is when you see where David was prior. 20 years before Bathsheba, roughly, is when David wrote Psalm 63, and it says this. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, when I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I'll sing for joy. My soul clings for you. Your right hand, it upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth and they shall be given over to the power of the sword and they shall be the portion of jackals. But to the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swears by him shall exult, for the mouths of the liars will be stopped. Here's David 20 years ago, and Lord crying out, my soul longs for you. I'm desperate for you in a dry and weary place. As a, as a deer pants for water in another psalm, so my soul pants for you, O God. He wrote this in the caves of Judea running from Saul in his place of suffering. And it's confronting to me as to what shifted 
between Psalm 63 being written and David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 falling short, right? Not enduring in a moment of trial. And I think it's a very, I wanna say it's this, oh, super heavy revelation that I have for you. But what struck me and what I would propose is it's a simple answer and it's in Psalm 62.10 and it says this, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. In chapter 11, it, it says this when David, about David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And we all know the story. He goes on and he, he has an affair with Bathsheba and then sends her husband to be murdered at the front lines of the battle they were fighting. And I guess I would wonder, Psalm 63, Lord, in the watches of the night when I'm on my bed, I meditate upon you. And I guess I wonder in 2 Samuel when David's laying on the couch in the afternoon, is he meditating on the Lord? Or is he lying there saying, oh my, my men are in the, they're about to take down the Ammonites. And is he pondering, oh man, what kind of loot you think they're gonna bring back? Like what riches you think are coming back? Oh man, my, my, my kingdom and my dominion, it's gonna expand. And like, man, how many acres am I gonna have my hand on now? Like, how big is my kingdom now? Proposed that riches were increasing, but David wasn't setting his heart on the Lord like he was in Psalm 63. Riches were increasing, but he was setting his heart upon them. I have to think that the same posture that David had in Psalm 63 was not the posture that he had laying on the couch that afternoon, because if it was, he could have walked by and seen Bathsheba and kept walking because his soul was hungry for the Lord. He was meditating. You know, what we, what we consume is what produces our desires, right? We behold him and we become like him because we are beholding him and we're consuming him and so we're becoming like him. If David was sitting there on his couch in the afternoon consuming the Lord, do you think he'd walk by a woman and his desire lead her to her? I'd say probably not, right? And I think this is the, this is the struggle with the season of blessing. This is, the, this is the struggle about when we enter into a land of promise. This is the struggle about the church in America. We have so much blessing. And blessing, I'm not saying in and of itself is bad, by no means. I've experienced tremendous suffering in my life, and I can say I've experienced tremendous blessing in my life, and if I'm gonna be honest with you, walking the blessing is much more difficult than walking the suffering. Uh, there's an ability to let suffering lead you to a place of dependence that I feel like blessing just takes a lot more work, if I'm gonna be completely honest. Um, but it's a simple truth, that Psalm 62, if riches increase, that we set not our heart upon them. And riches, it's so easy, and it's almost a cop-out just to say that riches is money, 
because riches can be synonymous with dreams, ambitions, wealth, relationships, the praises of men, the fulfillment of prophetic words, signs and wonders happening through your life, seeing miracles, experiencing peace, joy, having revelation, the activation of the gifts of the Spirit on your life, seeing great things like the redemption of your family, the restoration of things that have been broken or lost, anything internal or external that you consider a blessing, I would say, is riches. Right? It's easy to be like, well, no, I'm not rich. I'm not a millionaire, so I don't have to worry about this. <laughs> I don't think that's the case, and I think that frame of thinking leads us into not enduring well and passing in and slipping slowly into lives of passivity. We have to realize that there is a lot of blessing in our lives, and though there's suffering, there's also a blessing, and we need to know how to endure the blessing as much as we need to endure the suffering, right? And someone who did this really well was Daniel. If you look at the life of Daniel, you know, he's like 17 years old when he gets taken from Jerusalem and he goes to Babylon. And, you know, immediately he, if you read, he, you know, he says no to the king's portion of food and he says, you know, give me water and vegetables and, and you'll see. And, you know, the Lord honors him. And then he comes in and he interprets uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? And he's exalted to being one of the most powerful, you know, men of wisdom within Babylon. And, you know, you don't get a ton of Daniel's life details, but when you do, each time he's very faithful. You know, the next story you see is the writing on the wall. And, it's, and he comes in and he interprets what the writing on the, on the wall means. Um, and again, he's exalted within the kingdom. And as you go to Daniel 6, it's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I find this uh, pretty inspiring. At this point, Daniel's like 80 years old. This is, you know, 65 years after he's uh, saying no to the king's food and eating vegetables and showing us all what a Daniel fast is. Uh, and, you know, what we see of Daniel, very faithful, you know, the Lord's exalted him and gifted him. And, uh, you know, King Darius comes into power and it says that Daniel was one of uh, the three most influential, uh, highest ranking uh, officials within Darius's kingdom. And at that time, King Darius, a very powerful king. I mean, it was Egypt, Libya, North Africa, all of Israel, Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, like what we consider the Middle East was his kingdom, right? And Dan, here's Daniel at 80 years old, and he's one of the three top officials within the kingdom, and, you know, the other ones get jealous of him. And so they go to Darius and say, hey, pass this, you know, edict, basically, that nobody can worship any other god for 30 days. And then Daniel, I'm sure, knew what they were doing. And they, they sneak it past Darius, even though they say Darius, like, loved Daniel and it says that when Daniel knew that it was signed, he went to his house like he always did every day where he prayed three times a day and he opened his windows towards Jerusalem and he got on his knees and he started crying out to the Lord. I'm like, man, here's the man who's been exalted to the top five most powerful people in the modern day world at the time. So much blessing, I'm sure he had. So much power, so much dominion right? There was three other people 
within this entire kingdom that could tell him to do something. He easily could have been like, oh no, you know, I'm just gonna take 30 days off. Oh no, I don't wanna lose this position of blessing. Oh no, I just, you know, it's okay for me to kind of close the windows today. But instead, you could see this almost longing within him that what he had was not satisfying. He opens the windows towards Jerusalem and I think it's like this prophetic picture that like he always had this deep longing that this life wasn't gonna satisfy, that like he had this longing to be home. And I think it's this prophetic picture for us that like does the blessing shut down that within us? Does the, do we allow the, do we set our hearts on the blessing in such a way that we actually are desensitized to the deep longing in our hearts to go home? That this isn't our home? That this isn't our eternity? You know, Daniel, he doesn't, he gets on his knees and he, and he, and he prays and immediately he's arrested and brought before Darius and Darius doesn't want to, but he throws him in the den, Right? If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If you see blessing in your life, yes, receive them, but don't set your heart upon them. Like there's gotta be this deeper longing that like I'm homesick. Like anything in this life that I can get, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you for, the, for a home that's paid for. Yes, thank you for an education. God, thank you for restoration in relationships. God, thank you for financial provision. God, thank you for giving me a, a, a promotion at job, at work. God, thank you for fulfilling dreams of my heart and visions. But like, if that's the end, like we're totally missing it. We're totally missing it. Like, there's got to be this, like, yes, like, like, thank you, but, like, my heart, I just don't set it here. Like, there's this, like, home, there's this homesickness inside of me that, like, there's nothing in this life that's going to satisfy me. And so, like, I'm just going to keep doing what David did in Psalm 63, and I'm just going to meditate on you throughout the watches of the night, and I'm going to feed my soul you and I'm going to keep my eyes captivated on you, that even though these blessings are amazing, like, my heart's not set on them. My heart's still set on you, Jesus. You know? And I think it's what endurance looks like in a season of blessing is not losing connection with our need for him. You know, his, the things in his hand, the gifts in his hand, they've got to lead us to his hand but then his hand has to lead us to his face. Because when you see his face, here's the experience. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a long robe and with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as though dead. If I'm being completely honest with you, I've experienced blessing in my life and I've gotten stunted at looking at the blessing in his hand. And I personally have been on a journey of, okay, God, how can I see the blessing but not let that be the end all? How do I then allow the blessing to actually expose the scar in your hand that you're extending it to me with? And then how do I let the scar in your hand, how do I follow your arm up and see the wound on your side and then follow the wound up and see the face that shines like a sun? How do I let the blessing in this life actually lead me to a place like John had in Patmos where he like falls dead before the Lord? Like, I think that's actually what endurance looks like in the promised land is that like the gifts, the, the milk and the honey, he's like, yes, it's here, but just because there's provision, it doesn't mean that there's not greater dependence, right? That it's like, here, just allow it to just lead you to my face. Right, And I think it's so easy to just stop here. I, it's been so hard for me to get past here. Right, But I just think that if we stay here and are just staring at the blessing in his hand, like soon enough our heart's just gonna be set on it and not his face. Right, And I just, I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for you. We have to know how to steward blessing. I truly feel like there's a season of blessing for this church that's coming. I just feel like the, the, the it's coming. I just think there's just been buildup, there's been momentum, and we've had moments of depth and, and blessing, and I just think that there's more for us. And I just think there's, there, I feel this, even when I was preparing, I like feel this like almost this urgency that we can't, allow the blessing to not lead us into greater dependence. Like we can't allow the blessing to, to stop us so that Psalm 63, the, the prayers that we were praying in the wilderness during the suffering, like they have to in some way be the same prayers that we're praying when we're living in a land of promise. And so now I pose the question is why? Why do we need to endure? Why do we need to endure in suffering? Why do we need to endure in blessing? And what do both, what is endurance in both of these seasons of life? What, what does it do? Because it does something. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We endure because endurance leads us to hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, right? As Romans says, it's funny, Benji read Lamentations 3 and Jeremiah in verse 3:18 he says that my endurance has perished and so my hope from the lord has also endurance leads us to hope 
Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint. Right? And hope, I think, is the heavenly substance that we need to run this race well. This is a quote from John Hopkins University. Do we have any runners in the room? Anybody like running? Okay. When you start out on your run, your body goes through a transition. Your breathing may become heavy, and you might notice your pulse quicken as your heart pumps harder to move oxygenated blood to your muscles and brain. But as you hit your stride, though, your body releases a hormone called endorphins. Endorphins help relieve pain, reduce the stress on your body, improve your sense of well-being to encourage you to keep running. Hope is our heavenly endorphins. Hope is a byproduct of spiritual endurance. (laughs) We endure because it leads us to hope, right? We endure seasons of blessing and we endure seasons of suffering because it leads us to hope. And the beautiful thing about hope is that hope attracts heaven. Hope, uh, I heard Bill Johnson, he gave this, he was in Israel and he was out in, he was in Bethlehem. And he was watching a farmer as they were like preparing the field and his tour guide came up to him and was like, it's interesting, huh? We do it differently than you guys do in America. He's like, in America, you guys take the plow and you plow your lines, your, your burrows, and, you, and then you go through and you put the seeds in the ground after you've prepared the, the, the ground. And he said, we do it differently here. We go and we scatter seed and then the plow comes behind it and buries it in the ground. And he was like, this is a beautiful picture of hope to me. Hope attracts heaven. Hope is the seeds that we scatter. And the plow is the plow of heaven. If we scatter seeds of hope, the plow of heaven is attracted to it. It follows it. You don't have to plant it in a straight line. You can scatter it here. You can scatter it here. But the reality is, is wherever you scatter your seeds of hope, the plow of heaven comes in. Right? Because... What hope I believe is, it's a door. It's a door. It's in in Revelations 3, how Jesus says, Behold, I stand knocking, and anyone who opens, I'll come, and I'll make my home within them, I'll dine with them. Hope is, endurance leads to hope, and hope is a door that allows Jesus to come in. You know, this life is difficult, and even the same as running, right? It's like when you're running, and the first mile running is like always the most difficult Amen, anybody? Like, I could just be like four days without working out, but that first mile, for some reason, it just like kills me. And I know I can run a mile. Like, I'm pretty certain. Um, But then that's when those endorphins kick in, right? And they actually enable you to settle into your pace and your heartbeat comes down and it gives you what you need to keep going and to run the race. And hope's the same way. It's like when we lean into endurance, the promise in the scripture is that endurance leads to hope. As we lean in, we might be in that first mile. You could be in that first mile in either type of season. At any state in your life, in that first mile, and your heartbeat is like, you can feel it in your mouth. You're like, I'm already cramping. Like, I didn't sleep enough tonight. Like, it doesn't matter what. Like, you could, I'm not gonna make it, right? But as we lean into it, the Lord releases hope, right? And hope doesn't disappoint. Hope is not a disappointing fantasy. Hope actually comes in and it strengthens us, it encourages us, and it builds us up. 
right? Endurance opens up this door for Jesus to come and to actually make himself comfortable inside of us. Like as we keep fighting the fight, running the race, in the moments of pushback, we lean into it. What is released as we keep stepping in faith is hope. And hope is like this door that Jesus, we're like, we're like, we are standing, we're the door and we're like saying, Jesus, here you go. As, we, as you keep persevering, as you keep staying steadfast in the season, you're just opening yourself up and saying, here's my seed. Like, come Jesus, here's my seed. disappoint it doesn't disappoint this world disappoints but hope doesn't amen and the beautiful thing about hope is it's not just for you it's for the benefit of others oh shoot I know I'm going over you have to get your kids go for it I do it all the time Jordan goes along all the time so I'm gonna go I'm, I'm right at home Right? Your endurance will release hope and fuel you to keep enduring. And the cool thing about it is it's not even just for you. It's, it's also for those around you. When Daniel chose to endure rather than just fall back and shrink back and not pray, Darius afterwards, he rakes a decree. And he says this, that all, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to no end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He is who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Whew. Daniel's perseverance fueled him with hope, but it also fueled an entire kingdom. Got to hear about a God who saves, right? And it's, it's, it's the same hope, Isaiah 53, right? He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. The, the greatest stint of endurance that we've ever known was Jesus going to the cross. He suffered like no one had ever suffered. But on that day when that veil was torn, there was a violent hope that was released. The endurance of Jesus released a violent hope that is the reason why each of us are here today, right? Endurance produces hope and hope does not disappoint. You know, when historians look at the life of Jesus and, and from an intellectual standpoint and not from like a theological standpoint, but from a true like intellectual, maybe like non religious Christian perspective, when they look at Jesus's life, the, what they point to as the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, it's not the firsthand accounts, it's not Mary and Martha, it's, 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 it's not the first people who encountered him in the days after his resurrection. What they point to as the greatest evidence that Jesus resurrected from, the, that a man named Jesus resurrected from the dead was the life of the apostles after Just think about that. The greatest testimony of the endurance of Jesus and his resurrection that released a violent hope was the transformation and the willingness of the apostles to go from those who scatter when the shepherd is hit 
to those who are willing to be martyred for this same man. That is the greatest evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead was the transformation. You look at Peter, right? He's standing around a fire. There's a small girl who he gets intimidated by and denies Jesus because she says, surely you're a Galilean. And then you read a couple chapters later and he's preaching the gospel to thousands of people in the same city. And then you read a couple chapters later and he's standing before the same religious people who crucified Jesus, but yet now he's preaching the gospel with power and with authority. And I would argue with hope is what fueled the transformation. Like the endurance of Jesus released a violent hope that transformed the disciples and the disciples then continued the same journey of endurance, which then released hope that fueled their continued endurance and then fueled the people around them. Timothy is fueled by Paul's endurance, right? And he finds hope in the fact that Paul's finishing well in 2 Timothy, right? And then Timothy takes Paul's hope and it fuels him and then he keeps enduring and then hope arises in him and it not only fuels him, but then he passes it on to the churches that he's leading. Like endurance leads to hope and hope doesn't disappoint. Don't deny yourself the hope you need by not enduring throughout all your seasons. But as James 1 says, let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and lacking, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. A life of endurance will likely lead to a, being slightly less confident in yourself. You may find yourself walking with a limp like Jacob did, but it will create a door for Jesus to make himself comfortable within you and lead you into a true life of dependence. Endurance produces hope. Hope leads to dependence. Independence means Jesus receives the reward of his endurance. Amen. Amen. So I just want to encourage you, whether you find yourself in a season of suffering or if you are experiencing blessing like you've never known before, we all need to take on the perspective of Paul that we are facing something here. Right, that these both require us to be strengthened and to endure well. And to not fall into passivity and blessing, but also don't fall into blindness in your suffering. But allow the strength of Jesus as it did Paul to strengthen his inner man to endure long enough that hope can be produced in your life. And then that hope can lead you to breakthrough and greater dependence. And so let's just stand together as I close and I'll just invite Becca back up. There's a couple people I just feel like the Lord put on my heart tonight. I feel like there's people in the room tonight that are standing at the River Jordan and they're about to cross over into the promised land and I feel like there's like a knowing inside of you that your season is transitioning and you can almost see the other side and There's like a holy consecration tonight that like 
you're committing that, Lord, the riches are gonna increase and I see the blessing and I see the favor coming. I've actually had small glimpses of it. But like tonight, I feel like there's like a need to consecrate yourself before you cross the river that like even though the blessings are gonna increase, my heart's gonna be set on you, Jesus. I'll invite the prayer team up too. You guys can come up. The second group of people I felt the Lord would minister tonight is those that feel like they've been in the land of promise but have slipped into passivity or allowed their hearts to stop at what has been in his hand and not allowed it to take you all the way to his face. And I just wanna tell you and confess I'm on that journey. I'm somewhere in between looking at the blessing and getting to his face, but I just feel like there's an invitation tonight that if you feel like blessing has allowed you to slumber on your couch in the afternoon, lost your appetite for his face in this season like the Lord wants to give you a, a renewed vision and a renewed hunger and a renewed passion to endure through this season respond. We can turn the lights down a little bit. We're just going to have a little time of prayer and ministry. I'm going to pray and then feel free to leave. Feel free to lean in. If, if you need to be strengthened tonight, though, if you're at any part of this walk of life and you need to be strengthened tonight to continue to endure well, I just encourage you to come forth. There's just a grace to be strengthened tonight. Whether you're in the abundance or if you're in the lack, there's just a, there's a grace to be strengthened. There's a grace to be fortified tonight. The Lord's doing a fortification work. If you've been one that's quickly jumped ship in prior seasons, I feel like the Lord's wanting you to come and to humble yourself and to repent and to make a covenant with him that no longer you're gonna look left or right, but that you're actually gonna keep your eyes on him there's a resolve that the Lord wants to produce. If you need resolve tonight, if you do not have resolve in your life, if the seasons blow you left and right and you need resolve, I just invite you to come forward. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you made us for the journey. I thank you that you gave us this journey called life, that it's a marathon and it's not a sprint, God, and that you've made us to endure through every season, God, that you have equipped us with everything we need in Christ to walk this life with perseverance and with steadfastness and with consistency. Lord, I thank you that you don't call us to do something that you don't equip us to do. And Lord, I, I ask that as a body that you would equip us, Lord, to continue to say yes 
God, that you would strengthen our inner mans to continue to say yes. That Lord, that you would give us the endurance that we need to get to hope, God. That we would endure until we hit hope. And that hope, God, would be the fuel that continues to empower us and compel us to endure longer. God, Lord, I ask that you would release hope into this room tonight, Lord, that those who have been enduring and feel like they are hopeless, God, I ask that hope would break in. That hope, Lord, I just say that... that deferred hope makes the heart sick and so God I just I just speak to every heart that's deferred hope along this journey and I ask that you would just release hope tonight that the journey would bring hope ask you to give us your type of endurance the endurance that in the garden of Gethsemane was caused you to perspirate not only sweat but blood knowing that it was a cup that you could have walked away from and been just fine Jesus I, I ask tonight that you would impart your type of endurance into our inner beings Lord that you would strengthen us, that you would strengthen us tonight, oh God. Lord, we ask tonight that you would give us what we need, God, to continue and to finish the race well. I ask that you would give us the very sustenance that we need, Lord, to finish this race well. If the Lord's ministering to you right now, would you, and would you just open your hands and just ask him to give you what you need to finish the race well? There's just a grace to receive the, 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 in, the, in, the, <laughs> oh, the nutrients of heaven tonight. The very substance of heaven that compels us to say yes day by day. Like, Lord, give us the very substance of heaven tonight. Fuel us with heaven tonight. We just say, fuel us with heaven tonight, God. Come and plant something so deep within us tonight, God, that it would strengthen us not only today, but for tomorrow and for the next day, God, that, 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 that your very seeds, God, Plant something, God, that will fuel us, Lord, in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, God.
if you've experienced blessing in your life and it hasn't led you to a deeper place of dependence, I just feel like the Lord's inviting you right now to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and to ask him, to ask him that in his grace and in his mercy, his blessing would lead you to his face and his face would cause you to fall down and to bow your face before him.